What's up? My name is Ryan Shepard, and you're listening to the Dear Charlie podcast, episode three, day four of this social experiment. I guess I'll get right into it and skip the pleasantries this time, and I'll announce that this is the last time I'm going to explain what the podcast is before I go into it. But just a brief disclaimer, you may hear a small drill, well, not really a small drill, it may sound a little bit smaller to you, but they've been drilling outside of my apartment every day for like the last 10 days. I think they've tried to use this pandemic as a way to go and expedite street construction and other construction that they have been delaying for months and months, which I guess is great. We eventually go back outside whenever that is. But at the same time, it's very annoying because they start very early in the morning and are very inconsiderate of people that are trying to sleep or people that are trying to record podcasts or people that are just trying to enjoy a few hours before everything goes haywire during the day. So as I said, this is the last time I'm going to explain the podcast before I get into it. The podcast name, Dear Charlie, comes from my mother and my father. My mom, Jackie Miller, is still a very big part of my life. And as I explained in other episodes, she kind of preempted me into picking a name and getting this whole thing started before I even thought that I might get it started, which has been really helpful. And then my father, Charles, or... As the podcast name suggests, Charlie or Chuck or other nicknames he may have gone by. My father passed away when I was about five or six. And I don't see it as a point of weakness or a point of sadness. It's just kind of what happened. It's been 18 to 19 years. And I really only have good memories of my father. But there are questions I wish I could have asked him. Conversations I wish I could have had before he passed away. And this podcast is in a way... An opportunity for me to ask those questions out loud and with you guys and hopefully get your feedback in the process and kind of communicate with him. So consider each podcast as a journal entry or a diary entry or so whatever you have it. So today's episode is going to kind of follow the path of the first two episodes and not the third episode. The third episode was more personal and me kind of just talking off the cuff about things going on in my personal life. And there'll be more episodes like that down the line. But the first two episodes were more based on news articles and things as they related to what I do for a living, which is journalism. So the first podcast was about the privatization or the possible or inevitable privatization of the USPS. And then the second question was, second episode, I'm sorry, asked the question, what does once media's layoffs of Vibe me- Magazine mean for Black media and Black entertainment media? And this third, I guess, fourth episode, episode three, day four, we'll kind of dig into the topics that we got onto in day two, but more in a broader sense of journalism and reporting. If you're unfamiliar with Jalen Green, he is he was pro, he's projected as a possible number one pick in the next NBA draft. Not this upcoming NBA draft, whenever that may take place, but the draft after that. And he yesterday, as many high school players do, decided to hold a public announcement over Instagram Live with Yahoo Sports Chris Haynes. I'm not sure if he actually did the announcement with Chris Haynes, but I know he, he sat down and spoke with Chris Haynes over Yahoo or IG Live with through Yahoo Sports account. 
and kind of went through his process of deciding where he's going to do next after he graduates from high school. And instead of going to college, he decided to go to the NBA's G League, or as it was formerly known, the D League, short for Developmental League, which is in many ways the minor leagues for the NBA. In the past, this has been a possible route for many high school players leaving high school, but it's not a popular path in the past. It hasn't been. It's attracted prospects that have been picked in the NBA draft, but it hasn't attracted those top five, those top three prospects. And Jalen Green was the first, and I think there's a second in the top five, I believe, but I'm I'm blanking on that young man's name. He is the ESPN's number one prospect in a 2020 high school class. He could have gone anywhere in the country, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, you name it. He could have gone there. But instead, he decided to go into the G League, where he will be have the opportunity to have his college classes paid for, should he decide to go to college. And he will also be able to earn money for his family, which is a great thing. Now, there is a lot of questions about what this will mean for the NCAA. And I really won't get into that because I, I don't think there's much of a discussion. The NCAA will be fine. The schools will be fine because as TV ratings have shown on and on and on again, that you, the viewer, and I, the viewer, will watch college basketball when it comes March Madness time. We may not watch it as much as the season goes along as if there's not a compelling storyline as there weren't many to, I guess, casual fans this year, but we'll still watch when March Madness comes around. So I really won't get into that because I don't think it's that big of a discussion. But I will get into a discussion about how the news of Jalen Green's decision was reported through the media. Apparently, prior to Jalen Green, you know, offering his decision through IG Live as is really the only option right now. Maybe you could do it through Zoom, but IG Live just reaches more people. Somebody reported that he was going to go to the G League instead of going to play college basketball, and that reporter was Jonathan Giovanni. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Jonathan Giovanni of Draft Express, known as Draft Express um, on, on Twitter. And he works for ESPN covering, as his Twitter handle suggests, the NBA Draft. And immediately he was met with criticism. Most notably, he was met with criticism from Memphis Grizzlies guard and former Duke basketball player Tyus Jones, who wrote, who quoted Jonathan's tweet where he announced what Jalen Green was going to be doing before he made his formal announcement online. Tyus Jones quoted his tweet and wrote, why do media members feel the need, feel they need to ruin a kid's moment? I'll never understand this. Why would he have had why would he have an announcement scheduled if he wanted media to put out his decision beforehand? Now, this kind of brought up the age-old question of for media members doing your job versus doing a quote unquote the morally right thing. And as a journalist and somebody who has a moral compass and who had various issues in college when he was a journalist, when I was a journalism major, I don't know, I was talking in third person, when I was a journalism major in the way that journalism ethics were taught at my prospective school, among other issues I had with my school. But journalism ethics was one of the things I had an issue with that was taught 
in our school of communications because I believe that many of the professors were teaching kids to be heartless and in, in, for lack of a better phrasing, for lack of a better description, in teaching kids on how to report stories. Now, I don't think it's heartless to report what Jonathan did. And I'm not going to pronounce his last name because I don't want to butcher it. So I'm just going to call him Jonathan or Draft Express. Because at the end of the day, the way reporters get information is through our sources. If we're investigative reporters, we get our information through our sources. I'm not an investigative reporter. I'm a general journalist at this point in my career. So I can't speak to specifically what reporting and the drafting is, but I can speak to a general media sense, which is not what many people can do because I think a lot of people speak as Tyus Jones does from the perspective of not being a media member. That doesn't mean you don't understand how the media works, but you're speaking from our outside perspective as media members are speaking about what goes on inside of an NBA locker room. NBA players do. We're all speaking out from an outsider perspective, which in many ways we have to respect and be careful with and treat very delicately because we may be around these things a lot and we may understand it more than the average person, but we'll never understand it as intimately as NBA players do. And the same thing works vice versa. NBA players and athletes in general do not understand how the media works as intimately as media professionals do. So that was my first issue with it because he's speaking from an outside perspective in a way that gives off the perception that he knows exactly what he's talking about when he, as his statement indicated, he does not know exactly what he's talking about. And in his, in his, in his tweet, he said, I'll never understand this. Well, I can explain it. In a lot of ways, you're asking reporters not to do their job. Our, our job is to report information that we are given. And the emphasis on we are given. The only way Jonathan would have that information and be able to report it accurately and correctly is if somebody gave him that information. Because as a reporter, the worst thing that you want to do is report something on a hunch and something that you think may happen. Because especially when you have a platform such as ESPN and you're on Twitter and you report something that's on a hunch and inaccurate, it's you run the risk of ruining your career. Because if you report something just based off of, you know, kind of what you think may happen and not what you know is going to happen and you end up being wrong, that can really destroy your career. So the emphasis is not often on the people around the athletes who are giving these, giving this information. No one comes down on the coach for giving out the information. No one comes out on the uncle for giving out the information. It always comes down on the journalist, which for a player such as Tyus Jones shouldn't necessarily be his focus because he's smart enough to know that the information didn't just come out of thin air. It came from somebody because he's made that decision to go to Duke. And then you go through the replies to his tweet. Another NBA player that came up was Tyler Ennis, who plays for, I want to say the... I'm pulling up his um, name as we speak. Uh, last time I heard Tyus Jones, I mean, Tyler Ennis, or saw Tyler Ennis, he was playing for the Timberwolves, I believe. He may still be there, or he's he's he may be on the Lakers now. Uh, he's moved around a lot, that's all I can say. Um, but still the stands, he, he's, he's an NBA player. 
And he tweeted, kid didn't get to announce the biggest decision of his life. Couldn't be hard to wait until it breaks the news. And that's, again, where they're wrong. Because the point of an information journalist is to be, one, to be right and to be first. If you can do both, that's what puts you ahead in your career. So you're asking people morally to put their career behind, their career goals behind the notion of doing the right thing. And that would be a great thing if doing the right thing was rewarded. Because doing the right thing is often not rewarded in journalism and in media and what is consumed. And if as a consumer, you want the right thing to be rewarded, you have to reward the journalists that do quote unquote the right thing. And I don't necessarily think the right thing is not reporting information that you have. But in this case, in this context, I guess that's what's being promoted. Doing the right thing is not for lack of a better phrasing, not doing your job. Not reporting this information that you're given when you're given it is, in the sense, not taking the last second shot if it's wide open. It's right there. That's what you're supposed to do to win the game. It's what you're supposed to do to advance your career. And if you don't do it, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball. And oftentimes, in my experience, athletes, celebrities, public figures, they don't reward you for doing the right thing. Just because you do the right thing now doesn't mean they're necessarily going to give you an interview down the line. This is necessarily that means they're going to give you that exclusive down the line. That often is not the case. You're not rewarded for, quote unquote, doing the right thing as NBA players are pushing forward in this sense. And then further down, I'm not... There was another comment that also bothered me, which is they pay their sources. So technically, it's the source's job, too. First and foremost, if you pay your sources, you are not a journalist. And this is this is the issue that we have with TMZ, because TMZ is rumored to pay their sources for different information. Paying your sources compromises yourself. I, I work as, at ABC. And if we pay somebody for, say, we want a social media clip, we want a Twitter clip, a clip on Twitter that's posted of a video of a tornado. Once we pay them, we can't have them on air because they're paid by us. And that can potentially influence the information that they give us. So in the same sense, you can't pay your sources because that can influence the information that you're getting. Because say I pay you $2,000. And I'm saying I can give you another $2,000. You're going to say whatever you want me to say if you need that $2,000. So your your integrity is compromised, not only as a source, but also your integrity as a journalist, because you want to get the best information uncorrupted as possible. And I guess the last one I'll get into is a reply from, I guess the account is Darren Glover. First one to release the news gets 14 more likes, 14 more favorites, 22 retweets. No, that's not what happens. When you're right, in your first a lot, you get pushed ahead in certain careers. Evidence, Adrian Wojnarowski, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He's first and right 90% of the time. Or Sham Sharnia, he's first and right 90% of the time. Or in the NFL chapter, he's first and right all the time. Being first and right in these types of transactional reports is what gets you ahead in your career. And again, you don't get this information unless somebody gives it to you. And too often we put ourselves focusing on 
the journalist reporting the information, not the person who's giving them the information. And that information is oftentimes not hard to find because I guarantee you Jalen Green knows who gave that information to that reporter. I guarantee you it, he knows. Who's most likely to tell? Who's most likely around you that's going to snitch and give away the biggest moment in your life? And that's not fair to him. I agree that it's not fair to him that he doesn't get that inform- get to have that moment where he's the one revealing the information. But at the end of the day, it's the people around you that are not supposed to give out the information, not their job or their reporter. So I guess I'll get back into that point that I was making earlier about doing the right thing and being responsible, having the moral ethics of a journalist. I'll give an example of a time that I worked as a journalist. I still work as a music journalist very early in my career when I was still in college. I had an interview with a artist who's now way more popular than they were then. And we were launching at that time a subset of that publication that I was working for that was supposed to focus on Black American college students. And we had worked very hard to get this approved by our larger parent company. And we were finally getting the funding and the support that we needed to do this because they weren't in favor of doing it. But we pushed and pushed and pushed and advertised and advertised it. And we finally got this interview that was supposed to launch that subsection of our website. And when we got that interview, I did the interview with somebody else. And that artist said something that was I, would, I can't even say subtly homophobic, it was blatantly homophobic. And we didn't want to run that part of the interview because we because we felt like that artist didn't necessarily know what they were saying. And it doesn't accuse what they were saying, but we didn't want to run the interview, that part of the portion of the interview, because we didn't feel like it best served us. And I feel like it would have been offensive to our audience that was queer and was gay because that's a large portion of black life. I shouldn't say a large portion, but it's a portion of black life. And we felt like it was going to be offensive to them. And we just didn't, and like just offensive in general, like to all black people, regardless of your sexuality. But we just felt like it was going to be offensive and we didn't want to run that part of the interview. And our journalism, our editor was like, you have to run the interview. You have to run the interview. And we're like, no. And saying no is ultimately what cost us our, we eventually lost the support and the funding that we needed to support that section of that publication that we were about to launch because we didn't want to, and we didn't want to make headlines that way. And I know these aren't necessarily apples to apples, but it just goes back to the idea of doing the right thing. We didn't want to run a homophobic interview. And like I said before, you don't get rewarded in journalism for doing the right thing. Now, would I have had made that decision again? I would have made that decision not to run that interview 10 times out of 10. Because I didn't think it was going to serve anybody to do that interview and like run that interview. It wasn't going to serve us. It wasn't going to serve him. It wasn't going to serve anybody. Now, with the Jalen Green incident, like I, I, I understand why it's done. And I would have done the same thing. It is not on the journalist not to report the information. If you do not want it information reported through a journalist, you need to tell them that you want it off the record or just don't speak to the journalist at all until you're ready to like have that information be public. It's like, it's like putting something on Twitter when you're, when you're telling a journalist 
something that relates to a news story that you know you're talking about. It's not like a personal conversation. Like, obviously, I can have conversations with my friends and my family and not put that stuff on Twitter because it's not news. It's not what I'm working on. They're not subjects. When you know you're having a business relationship, like an emphasis on business relationship with a journalist, you have to know that if you do not say this is off the record, I do not want this written down, I do not want this published, or just not speaking to that long, like you run the risk of having that put out in the air. And it just goes back to my larger point of the focus needs to be on the people that are giving away this information to these journalists. If you do not want the information out there, don't give it to them. And that's who we need to be putting the focus on, not journalists doing their job. Because at the end of the day, as I said before, journalism, when it's done the morally right way, and I put that in quotes, is not rewarded. There's a reason why um, DJ Academics has a ton of followers. You can look at his journalism as unethical and morally like morally repulsive and all these things but the thing is he's still making tons of money and that like the numbers don't support people supporting the idea that people won't support morally unethical journalism and i put unethical again in quotes because it's all relative but the numbers don't support that support the idea that people aren't going to tune in to watch tmz there's a reason why they have a tv show that runs every single day there's a reason why DJ Academics is on air every single day and has a large scaling platform every single day because people still tune in. And it's not just a few people, it's a lot of people. So the idea that people don't support these things is laughable to me because the numbers say otherwise and the numbers don't lie because advertisers are putting their money behind things that people aren't going to watch and people aren't going to view. So if you want people not to support not to do these certain things, then you can't do them. Like you can't, you can't, you can't go out and support them. You can't, if you don't want TMZ and you don't want certain, like that aspect of journalism always having me first, like then don't support it. Don't tune in and watch it. That's how you speak to viewers. That's how you speak to networks. That's how you speak to advertisers because that's ultimately what drives everything. And I guess that's how this relates to my father. I would always love just to ask my father like what he thought of the media today. Because I know there's a lot of distrust within the media today. And I know there's a lot of this as the modern day distrust of media was born out of 9-11, which happened shortly after he passed away. So he didn't get to live in this, I guess, this new aged world of media but um, I can't necessarily say that things would have been just knowing what I've known now and what I've learned and what I've read that the distrust between media and consumer was much better when he was alive. There's always this level of distrust and this level of discerning that you have to go through with this. So I just love to talk to him about that and get his feedback on that, about what is the right thing to do in certain situations. Because it's something I struggle with today, because no one actively goes out and wants to ruin somebody's moment. No one actually wakes up and says, hey, I want to ruin this. I want to do this wrong. I want to say this incorrectly. I want to get this report wrong. But it ultimately happens because people mess up at their jobs all the time. The only difference is that when you're a journalist, your mess up is public. It's in front of people. And in this case, I don't think it was a mess up, but it it's ultimately decided by the consumer 
and the viewer what a mess up is. So you kind of have to deal with that and run with that. But at the end of the day, Jalen Green is going to be fine. Jonathan Giovanni is going to be fine. ESPN is going to be fine. The G League is going to be fine. Everybody's going to be fine. Tyus Jones is going to be fine. This is just all a conversation about relationship between media and athlete and media and public figure. And this is going to continue for the rest of Jalen Green's career and it's going to continue for the rest of my career, wherever that may lead. So uh, at this point, I guess I'll wrap it up. It's been good to talking to y'all today. This is kind of like a one-take thing, which I'm kind of glad. Didn't have to do any repeats. So thank you again so much for listening to this podcast. I'll be back tomorrow. Um, and on Sunday, we're going to be doing, I guess Monday, we're going to be doing a special episode. I didn't get to do it last week about Jackie Robinson and his relationship with Malcolm X. And I'll talk to talk about how that relates to my relationship with my father. Um, but I just think that's a fascinating discussion about what a lot of people don't know about the relationship between Jackie Robinson and Malcolm X, because I think it's one of the most fascinating beefs in American history. And I came with that topic because Jackie Robinson Day just passed by. I'm the Jackie Robinson Foundation alumni. Shout out JRF. And I just want to talk about that. So expect that for Monday. But the next few days are going to be more, I guess, personal. I mean, just talking about certain things that I would love to talk to my father about. If you haven't listened to the first three episodes, I implore you to go back and do that. All episodes are under 30 minutes, most of them under 20 minutes. So I really appreciate y'all taking the time to listen to me, support me. And if you ever want to come on the podcast, please let me know. If you ever want to chop it up about certain things that I'm talking about on this podcast, let me know. If you've lost a parent, you want to chop it up, let me know. I'm always here. I know things are tough for a lot of people. Certain people are losing their parents during this pandemic. And I can definitely say I've been there um, as a young kid. And I've gone through every emotion that you can feel about not having your parent around. So if there's ever anything that you want to talk to me about and kind of want to vent about, about losing a family member, specifically a parent, I'm here for you. All right. With that being said, it's the Dear Charlie podcast. I'm Ryan Shepard. Thank you for listening. Deuces.